Welcome to this week's edition of the Baseball America College Podcast. I'm Teddy Cahill. Joining me is my colleague Peter Flaherty. Millie is here, uh, just back from an outing, so I think she's uh, I think she's asleep. Peter, we've got uh, a a lot to talk about. It's been a, a meaty week around college baseball, uh, both on the field and off the field. Uh, for the first time this season, there's a new number one in the top twenty-five as Wake Forest. Moves up to number one for the first time in program history. We're going to get into that and how uh, how the Deeks came to uh, came to be number one this week. But I think the place we got to start, uh, we, we got to start with the gambling stuff. <laughs> That's a sentence that has never before been said on the Baseball America College podcast. We've been doing this podcast for a long time. Baseball America was actually a very early adopter in the podcasting realm. And uh, I still feel like this is maybe going to be a first as we as we get into some gambling stuff, Peter. Uh, Alabama last week fired Coach Brad Bohannon. It's been almost a full week now as, as you guys listen to this podcast on Thursday. We, uh, we recorded last week on Wednesday. He was fired on Thursday amid an investigation into some gambling issues uh, as they relate to Alabama's game against LSU a couple weeks ago, uh, the, the series opener. Uh, a lot of reporting been done on that from, uh, from ESPN uh, to, to get to, you know, some, some details from that, but the, the bottom line is that Brad Bohannon was fired. And then this week we got news out of Iowa that, Iowa and Iowa State both have been, you know, apprised of investigations in their state from their state uh, racing and gambling authority, uh, and they have suspended a whole bunch of athletes across a variety of sports. Obviously, for our purposes, Iowa State doesn't really matter a whole lot since they don't have baseball. Uh, but this has included a few Iowa baseball players. You know, Iowa hasn't named anyone. Where that investigation is going to go remains unseen or unknown at this point. We know very, very few details there. Uh, the Iowa AD, Gary Barta, I just saw, told the Athletics Scott Docterman today that uh, they did not know when they might expect uh, the suspended players would be would be cleared. So a lot going on. Obviously, Alabama and Iowa both project as NCAA tournament teams. Uh, we'll get into Alabama a lot more later on in terms of their, their hopes and everything. But, but Peter, it's just been a really strange week overall. Yeah, very strange indeed. Obviously difficult to see with Coach Bohannon and how it went down. Um you know, we could talk at length about it, but I, it, with obviously no players being involved and that being your head coach, um, it really rubbed me the wrong way for a lot of reasons. Just with how hard your student athletes work day in and day out, the common goal that you all seem to share in in winning these ball games, and obviously with these guys' future at stake. And it was really upsetting to see how it all shake down. I remember when it kind of first came out, you and I were in, I guess, somewhat of the camp of, okay, that this was just a very weird thing in in Ohio. Sports gambling nowadays has become so widespread and almost normal that, that just based on the sheer odds of things, there was going to be one weird bet that kind of raised some eyebrows, and then it went back to, okay, this was just nothing other than just a random person feeling really confident about Paul Skeens. Um, but it turned out it was 
way worse than that. Um, a, a, a tough day for Al, a tough week for Alabama, but they they responded in about I think the best way that they possibly could have um, with a really impressive series win. So again, tough, but I'm glad that you know they they resolved it quick, they resolved it swiftly, and then and then they responded the way that they did, and they're ready to to hopefully finish up the season pretty strong. Yeah, I mean the uh, the deal there is uh, much more impactful, I guess, than the one in Iowa. Uh, and I we should say that there has been no evidence that's been presented, and in fact, the Iowa Gaming and Racing Commission or Racing and Gaming Commission actually uh, has said that like they you know, they have not taken Iowa baseball games off of their their books. Like, there's no indication that there's like any sort of like real foul play within that and because it's so wide ranging it almost seems more likely that this was just a variety of student athletes that gambled which is i believe against state law certainly against um NCAA policy or Iowa policy and there the the situations they happened within you know the, the news broke within a week of each other but they're not the same so uh, that that is important to know, but we'll we'll just have to see where that goes. Iowa is a little bubbly as they so often are, but they're trying to make their first NCAA tournament in, since 2017 and get their first at-large bid in much longer than that. So uh, something to watch for sure. I guess Peter, let's uh, let's just get into the Alabama Vanderbilt situation here a, a little bit more. The uh, you know you alluded to them winning a, a big series there and. The, the crazy part was that that series started on Thursday. It was a Thursday to Saturday SEC series. Brad Bohannon is announced to be fired at, I want to say like about nine o'clock local time uh, for Alabama. And they had to play a game that night against a top five Vanderbilt team. And they went out there, they won that game resoundingly. And then they uh, they lost on Friday. They come back. They win two to one on Saturday in the finale. Just a phenomenal pitching effort all weekend from Alabama, and just kind of a reminder that Alabama's a good team. Uh, you know, I, I felt like last weekend could have gone one of two ways for them. That either you know the the distraction, the noise, the turmoil, all of that was just going to be too much, and they fold, or they use it to galvanize and you know. They're, they're a good team. This is a team that started the season incredibly well in non-conference and, and has played well throughout the year, uh, really, that you know they're up and down like a lot of SEC teams, but they've been a solid team much of the season. And, and they come away with a, uh, j- just like you said, a, as, as good of a response as, as you could ask for. And the first game, it started out, and I have to admit, in sitting there and turning on ESPNU, this was the most... I think intrigued for a number of reasons I was to tune in to a college baseball game in some time, just because this was such a unique and almost one of one situation. I had no idea how it was going to go for, for Alabama and combine everything that happened off the field with the fact that they're facing a Vanderbilt team that had been playing some of the best baseball of anyone in the country for the better part of a month and a half, two months. I had, I, I was really, really interested to see how the tie would do and to make 
And RJ Shrek got the scoring started, third hitter of the game, hit a home run down the line, and I was like, oh, here we go. And Luke Holman got out of the inning, and then Bama just exploded from there, and Luke Holman was excellent. And they went on to drop that second game on Friday, which set up for a really intriguing rubber game. And as as you mentioned, it was just a pitcher's duel all the way through. Dominic Tamez broke the tie in the eighth inning with a solo home run. And to take everything off the field out of it, one, a incredible series win for Alabama for their tournament aspirations. Um, two, um, it was great to see that they were able to flush all of the stuff that had happened, not let it bog them down on the field. It was clear that it also lit a spark under them. Um, and they were really close together as a team, just with how they were playing, how they supported each other. And their RPI is now up to 15 after a nice midweek win last night over Troy. And they still have some work to do in terms of notching a few SEC wins down the stretch and not going Ofer and Hoover. But at AM and versus Ole Miss, I think that, you know, to, for, for them to get to that 15 win threshold in the SEC that we so often reference, it's right there for them for the taking. And their RPI is very strong. And if they can just get that, they should be able to eke their way into a regional, which it's a good team. If you take everything else, you know, if, if you put it aside, um, they're, they're a really strong club. They can hit. Well, we saw this weekend, how good their pitching can be when it's on. And I, I think that the crimson tide are, they've, they've built some serious momentum and are playing with a big time chip on their shoulder as, as we head down the home stretch. Yeah, I mean, and with their RPI being where it is, they don't even need to get to 15 SEC wins. I, I, I think if they just even split, like they um, don't get swept maybe even, like that, if they're at 13, like that's kind of courting trouble because of how many SEC bubble teams there are, and maybe we'll get into that a little bit later. But if they just split these final two weekends, go three and three, I, they're, they're, they're in. And uh, it's going to be interesting to see how uh, how it all goes from here. You know, it's one thing to, uh, to react in the moment. Uh, it's another thing to, you know, sustain that as, um, you know, some of the, you know, we, we, we just get into the, the, the crunch time of the season and, you know, you have interim coaching staff trying to do things in a different way and, and all the rest of that. But uh, Alabama certainly in a strong position coming out of uh, out of the weekend. Uh, OK, the if it weren't for all of the off field stuff, uh, the biggest story this week would have been Wake Forest moving to number one in the top 25 LSU had been number one uh, throughout the season, started, starting with the preseason top 25. Uh, they have been incredibly consistent. Their, their run at the top of the, the rankings was one of the longest for a preseason number one in the 43-year history of the Baseball America top 25. There were uh, just a handful of teams that, that did it longer, I guess four teams, 2013 UNC, 1998 Stanford, 1988 Oklahoma State in 1984, Arizona State, uh, although notably that back in 1984, our rankings were not weekly. They were bi-weekly because they just went in the magazine. So it's a, it was just a little bit different, but we can still count Arizona State. They, they were number one uh, from the preseason through, uh, through the final regular season rankings. Uh, so LSU in some pretty rarefied air there. And I, I, I know there's been some noise in Baton Rouge about 
you know, is there enough pitching, you know, this problem, that problem, the other problem, uh, that's all well and good. Their record is still remarkable and the consistency that they showed is incredibly rare. Uh, So, you know, I understand the concerns and, you know, down there it's national championship or bust. And like, I get all of that, but also I, I think what they've done should be celebrated. Now that said, Wake Forest has been incredibly consistent as well this season. Uh, they are in first place in the ACC, uh, clearly, in, like, like they have a, a comfortable margin. We're, we're just counting down uh, until they clinch the, the ACC title. Uh, they have not lost a weekend series all year. And uh, this last weekend, they picked up uh, another nice series win against Boston College. Uh, Wake Forest leads the nation in wins. They're the first team to get to 40 wins this year. They have the best winning percentage in the country. Uh, They're number two in RPI behind only Kentucky. Um, They lead the nation in ERA. Just a lot of really impressive things about what Wake Forest has been able to accomplish. And now they are number one. And and BC, to their credit, they gave Wake about as tough a series as we've seen a team give the Deeks all year, especially at in Winston Salem um, on on Friday. Rhett Louder set the tone with his classic Rhett Louder outing: seven shutout with nine strikeouts. Just really good command of his arsenal. Really good feel for it against a BC lineup that. And and the thing with BC coming into this as a quick aside is they were without and will be without their two top offensive, well, two of their top offensive players in Travis Honeyman and Cam Leary. And that's also two thirds of their outfield. So coming into the series, it was already going to be an uphill battle for the Eagles, but taking two of those pieces out of a lineup that really needs the production was, it, it made that hill just so much steeper. And on Friday night, we caught a whiff of that against Rhett Louder. Now, BC did have moments where they threatened. They just couldn't get that one hit that, you know, they were see- they could seemingly get in all of these other games all year. Um, and then on Saturday, Saturday was a, it was a unbelievable game. We saw BC go out to a quick lead and then Wake Forest get out to a lead in later innings, but BC respond. It was, it was a complete back and forth affair. And it culminated with a Peter Burns game tying home run in the ninth off of reliever Michael Massey, who has been excellent, just like every other Wake Forest pitcher this year. Um, Burns got a low and in slider below his hands and he just dropped the head and he stuck it over the fence. The wind was flying out. The wind was blowing out all day. So this was a classic game at the couch where any fly ball you saw off the bat, it was probably going to wind up over the fence. And no one could score an extra innings until the 12th. BC finally broke through with a home run from Joe Vitrano, who really carried the load for them offensively this weekend. I think he had three home runs. See that saw the ball really well, hit the ball hard consistently. And then freshman Kyle Wolf um, with the biggest hit of his career so far added some insurance. So um, while wake did end up taking the rubber game with again, a stellar pitching performance from, from Josh Hartle, it wasn't easy in the ninth BC had the bases loaded and two outs. Um, Merrick Houston got a ground ball at shortstop. It was hard hit by Burns and it was a race to cover the bag between Justin Johnson and Barry Walsh. who's was called out on the field. Walsh was, um, but it wasn't without some intrigue because on that play, the runner from second didn't stop running for BC, which was the game tying run. And he had come across to score 
So there was a review to end the game, and if the call on the field got overturned, it was going to be that A, Barry Walsh was safe, and B, Boston Boston College scored two runs to tie the game. So that was a uh, that was literally as as much as Wake could handle. But as they've shown time and time again how great they are as a team, they were able to come away with another ranked series win, and they were able to overtake an LSU team who who kind of got their their butts handed to him against Auburn yeah it was uh definitely a, a a tough one for for BC and just kind of representative of of how tough they uh they've played all all, all season long it, it a lot has not come easy for uh for Boston College this season but they they've just kept hanging in there and uh that was a really important win that they were able to get in Winston-Salem I know they didn't come away with the series ultimately but just to pick up that that one win was important to their uh, to their chances. As for Wake Forest, this is the first time in uh, in program history that they've been number one. Now they do have a national championship back in 1955. As as long as we've been in existence as a publication and ranking college baseball teams, we aren't quite that old. Uh, so they did not have the opportunity. They would have been number one then. But in the in the forty three year history of of the rankings, this is their first time at number one, and perhaps more well, at, certainly for me, more intriguingly, this is the latest in a season that a team from the ACC has been number one since two thousand fifteen, when Virginia won the national championship and therefore was number one in the final poll. But no ACC team since then has been number one in uh in may or june until now and the acc in general just hasn't you know we think of this conference typically as the second best league in in the country because they typically put in either the most or the second most teams in the ncaa tournament they're right up there in terms of hosts uh you, you know usually number two in terms of hosts and they have not had high level you know, national championship contenders all that often. It, it, it feels like nobody's played for the national championship since Virginia did it in back-to-back years from uh, from the ACC. They've only spent, I think it's six weeks at number one total as a conference uh, since Virginia won the national title. And I don't want to like turn this into what's wrong with the ACC. Like this is Wake's moment and I don't expect Wake to resolve like why hasn't the ACC had more success in Omaha However, I, I do find all of that to be interesting, and I do think that it's notable that you know Wake Forest has been able to rise above the pack this year. There is a there certainly is an element within the ACC of just beating up on each other. Wake Forest is is you know clearly at the top of the standings, and then there are a whole bunch of teams in there that are tightly packed in the middle. And you know Duke and Clemson have been really hot as of late, but the conference overall certainly has an aspect of. Uh, unless you're playing Wake this year, like almost anyone can beat anyone on, on on any given weekend, and some of that depends on okay, when did you play them? Because Virginia started the year really hot, and like I said, now Clemson and Duke are really hot. But it's uh, it, it's just been an interesting year for that conference, and it's kind of crazy that Wake Forest uh, is is the team that that's breaking through in this way. You know, just when you think about it historically, you think about. Florida State and Clemson and UNC, and yet here it is, Wake Forest that uh, that has emerged as as one of the conference's best national championship contenders in uh, in a decade, really. 
And that's such an interesting stat you mentioned about the ACC because admittedly, I had just kind of assumed that and wrongfully so that the number of ACC teams in contention for a title was higher than just Virginia in 2019 and UVA in 2015. And because they've had good team, they've had great teams in the past few years. Obviously, Louisville last year, Notre Dame makes it to Omaha last year. Wake was even solid last year, but they had an early exit. And then Virginia Tech was, they made a super and they kind of got upset at home by a really hot Oklahoma team. And then you can even rewind a little bit further and and talk about the great teams they've had. But with this year, it really feels like if there's any year where a non-UVA ACC team can break through, it's this one. And and Wake has built a really impressive four and a half game lead atop the Atlantic standings, and and they have the best record in the conference and the most wins in the conference by a really wide margin. Which, again, to your point, is really really impressive. With I, I think the talent top to bottom in the ACC this year. I mean, you look at teams like really other than surprise, shockingly, Florida State, and even Pitt is floating around five hundred. Other than those two teams, which are bringing up the rear in their respective divisions, the Atlantic and the Coastal, every team in the ACC is is a quality ball club. Like there is no easy weekend out there, and for them to have sustained this run up to this point, and there's really no reason why they won't be able to for the last couple of weekends of the season, is unbelievable. And if there's any year where a team's going to break through that's not UVA. It, the clear answer is this one with how good Wake Forest is. And then you look elsewhere in the conference with how how well Duke is playing right now. You can toss that midweek loss last night out because it's just a baseball's weird. And, and that was kind of a one-off game. But Wake Forest, obviously, with how well they're doing. Clemson, as you mentioned, is, I mean, they're in a really good spot right now to to host when they were dead in the water about four weeks ago. And then, you know, your other usual suspects, Miami is playing well. UVA, as we've mentioned, but no, the ACC, this is one of the better years that I can remember for the conference as a whole. And it seems like there are a lot of teams in here that are a going to host and B have the ingredients it takes to sustain one of these deep tournament runs. It'll be interesting to see how things shake out for them, you know, as, as a conference uh, and, and for Wake Forest, um, you know, right now uh, in the, projections that, that we just published this week uh i moved wake forest to the number one overall seed and uh you know it, it, they're they, they've earned it and you know we can talk about whether you want it or not but they've uh they've certainly earned it and if they get it you know just another testament to to what they've done as uh, as a team and what what tom walter and and the coaching staff have uh have built over you know several years but also specifically in in the last year uh and and just incredible incredible job again this year by by Wake Forest they've they've played really well to this point and uh no matter how the season ends it's going to have been i think a success for for Wake Forest uh you know assuming they they go out and they finish this ACC title uh but you know they they can dream bigger right now they can dream about you know going back to Omaha for the first time in decades and and you know maybe adding a, a second national championship to uh to that team's uh trophy chest so uh, intriguing times to come in Winston-Salem, but but this week, definitely congratulations to Wake Forest on uh, on that number one ranking. 
uh, we're going to get into, uh, you know, the, the LSU series loss at Auburn was, uh, was crazy enough, but it was just the start of the craziness in the SEC. Uh, there was a lot of interesting stuff happening out West as well. Most notably Stanford uh, sweeping Arizona state to take control of the, the PAC 12 race. And we've got a big weekend of big 12 baseball uh, ahead of us. We're going to get to all of that uh, and maybe some more, but, but definitely all of that. Uh, but first check this out. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with indeed. If you need to hire, you need indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast, ditch the busy work, use indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging. So you can connect with candidates faster and indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent indeed survey. What I love about using Indeed is how it does a lot of that organizational work for me. I can sort through candidates. I can respond to them. I can schedule interviews all through Indeed. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses, including Baseball America, that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Baseball America. Just go to Indeed.com slash Baseball America right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash Baseball America. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, Peter. Let's uh, let's let's break down some of this AC or SEC craziness. We, we've already mentioned that Alabama went out there and won that series against Vanderbilt. Uh, we kind of obliquely mentioned that LSU lost to Auburn. Uh, you also had A and M over Florida. Uh, that was a big one for uh, for for the Aggies in terms of their their postseason hopes. You got Georgia over Tennessee again, major for for the Dogs uh, in their postseason hopes. Kentucky you know, comes away with a sweep of South Carolina. And, you know, a week ago, there was some, you know, you, you could definitely hear some people saying, well, I don't know, like Kentucky, you know, they'd been in the hosting discussion. And now you got to wonder, like, are they going to end up on the bubble even? Like, is this going to be about them sneaking into the NCAA tournament, not about them hosting? Well, then they swept South Carolina. And now there's like a very clear path for, for Kentucky to host again. And um, so a, a wild weekend, around the SEC. Uh, Peter, we can start anywhere you want because I got to say all of these series uh, were compelling. I mean, maybe not the Kentucky sweep. Like South Carolina didn't hold a lead at the end of an inning in you know throughout the series. Uh, but that was still a, a, a big result and, and a, a surprising result at that. Uh, but most of these series were very compelling. We had we had a lot of rubber games uh, throughout the the conference, so it was uh, it was a fun weekend of SEC baseball. Right, it was a it was a wild one because really outside of the SEC, it was a pretty I would say stock weekend around the country. Um, there wasn't anything super noteworthy or or of a huge upset um, for that mad, matter. Maybe outside of UNCW over Northeastern, which I wouldn't necessarily call a huge upset, but the SEC provided all of the theatrics one needed this weekend. And 
I think I'll start with with talking about Auburn because it's the second week in a row now where they've done something that no other team was able to do with which you know last weekend it was they were the first team to win a series at Founder Founders Park on the road um and this weekend obviously they were the first team to win a series over LSU thus knocking them from their number 1 ranking and again it was as you said there were a lot of rubber games LSU on Friday did what it has done so often, which they received an absolute masterclass from Paul Skeens. And for as how good as Paul's been um, all season, he set a season high in strikeouts with 15. He cruised through the Auburn lineup, a good one at that. And it was kind of as he's as good a tone setter as one you can find in the country and B as we've seen in recent memory. And after that performance, it's kind of like, geez, you know, a team is not going to beat LSU twice in a row, no matter how good they are, because of their lineup, you know, what they've got, I guess, on the mound. But Auburn went out and did just that. They come out and win on Saturday. It was a really weird game. It was a long game. It was almost Hoover-esque in that point. We had, at from that standpoint, we had a really weird fourth inning where, Ty Floyd looked like he was cruising and then Auburn touched him up thanks to some command issues. And then Auburn explodes for four. There also runs. was a weird ejection in that inning. Yeah. It was, wasn't it? Nobody, nobody still or? knows what happened. It feels like it was their direct. I, I, I'll get the title wrong, but well, no, but it ended up not being that it ended up being Josh Jordan. Yeah. It was so weird because at first people thought it was their director. It was a video guy who was, not on yeah, the, one, of, one of the non-uniform personnel. Yeah. LSU so it was, it was very weird in that sense. And then Auburn scores three, thanks to some command issues. And then they just, it was kind of death by a thousand paper cuts in the sixth. They used a few singles and a sack fly to, to hang four more. Um, but Auburn looked kind of dead in the water as a team. Um, even just two weeks ago, they'd come off a ser- really tough series loss against Alabama, which, at the time we have kind of we had kind of dubbed as okay the winner of this series is going to be on the right side of the bubble the loser the wrong side and of course Alabama loses or excuse me Auburn loses and we're kind of like okay Auburn has some serious work to do if they want to get back in the tournament um looking at their schedule it is not a favorable one and they they've done the exact opposite they've now won three SEC series in a row they've really picked it up on the mound which was a I'd say a pretty big concern coming into it and their, their lineup has proven to be really formidable. Their lineup wasn't the issue um, at really at all. It was all about the pitching or lack thereof and just kind of figuring out who's going to fit best where and all weekend they got, they got really strong pitching from almost everyone they called upon will cannon most notably um, he's been he's been kind of a stalwart in the back end, and he locked down a key save in the game two on Friday night. And how he pitches and how he pounds the strike zone is impressive. So after the last two weekends, Auburn is they're not only firmly in the tournament; um, they've now cracked our top twenty-five. And in going back to looking at their remaining schedule, it is very favorable for them to rack up a couple of more SEC series wins, strengthen their resume, and head into the tournament on a really high note. 
we, we debated Auburn. They're, they're number 25. And, um, you know, ultimately for me, the, you know, you just kind of, they in the last two weeks, they've beaten South Carolina on the road and now LSU at home. And I mean, those are two of the better series wins that you'll find in the country this season. And so, you know, they're, they're a mildly uninspiring overall record of 27, 19 and one. They're still under 500 in the SEC at 11 and 13. But, you know, they've got series wins against Indiana, USC, now again against South Carolina and LSU. And I just found that to be, you know, pretty compelling for that that final spot. I mean, there are a lot of there are a lot of really deserving teams right now. There are a few teams outside the top 25 that I wish I wish we had room for. You know, you got Texas, you got Indiana State, you know, we Tennessee just fell out of the top 25. Uh, to make room for Auburn, like any of those teams would look great in there. But to me, just having those two series wins, I mean, nobody's got that basically. And uh, certainly not of these teams at the back end that we're talking about. And uh, Auburn's playing as well as anybody is right now, I feel like. And, and to me, the the one of the biggest things that happened this weekend for Auburn was, again, one of the biggest storylines from last week in South Carolina it just carried over. And it's their pitching staff, uh, which to prior to the last couple of weeks just hasn't been very good this season. Uh, they've really missed Joseph Gonzalez uh, who hasn't pitched since opening weekend. And then, you know, a, a guy that played for team USA last year, just a guy that can change a pitching staff. I mean, he's not Paul Skeens, but the impact that Paul Skeens has on LSU's pitching staff, that could be a similar impact that Joseph Gonzalez has uh, on Auburn and they're missing him. Uh, but they've, uh, they've really found something lately. They held LSU to, to just 11 runs on the weekend. That's LSU's lowest output of the season. This is the best lineup in college baseball, the best offense in college baseball. You know, they scored three runs on Friday that matched this, their, their season low. Uh, and then they were held to two runs uh, on Sunday, which is a new season low. So a lot of respect for what Auburn's been able to do on the mound this weekend. They, uh, they did a good job uh, against South Carolina uh, and they did a great job. Uh, against LSU. And like you said, the remaining schedule is favorable. I uh, I feel really good about where Auburn's at. And, uh, you know, Butch Thompson, what, just another great job. And if they are able to finish uh, strong with these final two series at Ole Miss and, and Mizzou, I mean, you just feel like they've got a lot of momentum at the perfect time of year. And look, I don't... I don't want to put a ceiling on, on what, what they can do. I mean, it, it's going to be an uphill battle no matter where they end up in the in the tournament process they're not going to host it doesn't look like but uh this is a team that, that could make some noise and and i again just so much respect for what they've done uh the last two weeks uh peter i you know i i've expressed that i'm not really that concerned about where lsu is at how concerned are you about where lsu is at specifically there's a lot of you know anytime i go on the radio in baton rouge or get asked about lsu there's okay, they've got Paul Skeens, but do they have enough other pitching? So where, where do you land on that? So in looking at where they are right now, they're 38 and 10, 16 and seven in the ICC and the consensus number two team in the country with a chance to get back to that number one ranking. They have the best hitter in the country in Dylan Cruz. They have the best pitcher in the country in Paul Skeens and they have the best lineup in the country with, you could name all other eight hitters in their lineup that, that gives them that loaded lineup. However, I, I, the injuries are start, the injuries to the pitching staff and the inconsistencies on the pitching staff are starting to kind of rear its ugly head. And 
we had already known since over a month ago, really when SEC play started, that LSU was going to have and, and did have a Sunday starter issue, just figuring out who fit best in that role and how they were going to perform. It's clear that they're still trying to figure that out, and they might really not end up going into the postseason with an established third starter. We might There will be a lot of candidates that, that start a potential game three and, and whatnot. We saw it on Sunday with Christian Little was given the ball, and he really struggled to throw strikes. And granted, Little had been great. I wouldn't say great. He's been solid for LSU this year in what he's been asked to do. He's opened up games. He's come out of the bullpen. This was by far his his worst outing of the year, just 28 pitches, nine strikes. Um, hopefully that is just a little hiccup that he can bounce back from. But then it's like you, you kind of look elsewhere, and yes, Ty Floyd has, has been solid. Um, the stat line wasn't all that pretty from his Saturday start. Um, but I think that they have two – with with it with Skeens and Ty Floyd, they have two real. They have a, that's a really solid one-two punch. I think, even for as as um, I, I guess inconsistent at times as Floyd's been, that's a really strong one-two punch. That's not a concern. I think that where I'm most concerned is in their bullpen and on Sundays or in in third games, who their starter is going to be, um, because I think those injuries have really mounted up in the bullpen. Some guys aren't performing as well as you would have hoped, namely Thatcher Hurd, who it's it's been so weird with Thatcher because it's been two steps forward, almost three steps back. It's just kind of right when you think he's got it figured out, it's another rough showing, which, you know, it, it's something that you really hope that he can get figured out going into the postseason because what we saw last year at UCLA was the stuff that he showed and how he pitched was of a potential top five overall draft pick in 2024. So he's got it in there. It's just about tapping into it. But I wouldn't say I'm like all that concerned about LSU and pressing alarm bells and saying the season's over. They've got nothing. They've got no depth. If this regional goes to five games, who are they going to throw? They're going to have to throw, you know, a, a bullpen arm three times to, to get through regional. I'm not really in that camp, but I I do think that the offense is going to really have to hit on nights that Paul Skeens doesn't pitch. And I'm not talking about they've got to score double-digit runs because it's going to be a slugfest. I'm talking about they're going to need to to not score less than, I think, you know, four to six runs to feel comfortable with a win because just with the personnel that they have and will have, um, this is kind of the squad that they're going to be rolling with into the postseason. So the lineup is going to, I, I think, be the 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 personnel group that carries it to whatever their ceiling is, which is still absolutely a national championship. There is no reason to to temper your expectations on the Tigers. But it's clear that they they have their vulnerabilities like any other ball club. So I think that this weekend was the first was was what really kind of got me a little anxious about their bullpen and the the problems it may pose but overall I'm I'm not ready to to change my my overall thoughts on the on the Tigers all that much. Yeah, I think some of the concerns feel way overblown to me and in other respects I certainly understand where they're coming from. I I think that 
Ty Floyd has been good this season. I mean, has he been great? No, but I, I do feel like it's a little underrated what, what he's been able to do as a number two starter because Skeens has been so good and because there has been such a problem with the third starter that Floyd ends up getting more lumped with the third starter problem than with Skeens. Uh, but I think he's a solid number two. I think that Nate Ackenhausen being back is important for the bullpen. Thatcher Hurd has been way better as a reliever than he was as a starter. And maybe that's a situation where like, maybe that's a solution at the back of the bullpen. And Gavin Guidry has really stepped up since they've started using him more out of the bullpen. Uh, the bullpen's definitely been impacted by not having Edwards and Shores and not having Grant Taylor at all this season. Like that is definitely like you are feeling the effects of that if you're LSU. But I mean, the fact that LSU doesn't have a third starter right now, like, I mean, there just aren't that many teams with third starters. Wake Forest has the best rotation in the country. Like, great. I, I feel good about them and, and their, their starting situation. But I don't know who else actually has a third starter around the country that you can feel good about. You know, like you look at, at Vanderbilt and suddenly they have a lot of questions. You know, that rotation at times looked like the best rotation in the country. Uh, you know, but Carter Holton is certainly dealing with something right now. It, it just looks different if they don't have him in the rotation. You know, Arkansas has dealt with all kinds of injuries all season long, and, you know, their rotation is not, not like, firmly set one, two, three. Duke doesn't even have, like, one more than one starter. Like, Duke is a complete whole staff every time out. Stanford, you know, we've talked about it. They've got, like, six pitchers that they can trust, and, you know, I – I don't think their situation looks all that different from LSU's and, you know, coastal is, is not that kind of team. South Carolina is dealing with their injuries. Like Florida, we've talked about it with Jack Heglione. He can't make it past like four innings basically as a starter Uh, on and on and on. Like there just aren't teams with pitching this year. Like this is not, this is not where college baseball is this year. So I, I think that LSU's problems are getting magnified right now, but that's not to say that it's going to be this way all season long. And, you know, I, I just think that we're in for a different kind of tournament than what we've seen uh, so many times in the past. This is not going to be a year that you get to Omaha and can't score that you get a lead. And like, it's, you know, they're, they're going to be comebacks for a long time at what used to be known as TD Ameritrade park. Like it was like, you get a lead and you, you stay in the lead. There were no comebacks ever. That's not the way it is anymore. Charles Schwab field, uh, like everything else in college baseball is playing more offensive. And I, you know, does LSU stack up against Wake Forest on the mound? No, they don't. But they stack up against anyone else, basically, I feel like in terms of pitching. They've got the best pitcher in the country. They've got the best lineup in the country. Like, I I feel fine if I'm LSU. You know, if you end up in a three-game series in the championship against Wake Forest and Wake Forest has their pitching lined up, like, we can talk about whether, like, that would be you know, who would have the edge there. But aside from that scenario, I, I think LSU is just fine. And, and that's a great point you make about the third starter, because I think it's really easy as a fan of LSU as a fan of college baseball after this weekend to have LSU's problems be magnified and say, Oh man, they don't have any pitching. You know, we can beat them. They're not as good as we thought they were. When looking around the country, I don't think that there's, a clubhouse in America where it's of the mentality of, Oh man, we got to bury these guys on Saturday because on Sunday they have 
insert pitcher name other than like you said, Josh Hartle and LSU has serious arm talent. While on Sunday, it was a pretty rough showing. As I said, Christian little is a really good arm. He's shown how good he can be. Griffin Herring has been excellent in, in at times out of the bullpen. Everyone just had a down day, which again, in baseball, it's going to happen. And Auburn took advantage of it, not to discredit anything Auburn did because it was exceptional with how they played over the weekend. But as you said, it's LSU because of the hand, the, the hand they were dealt with the injuries, they're still kind of figuring out where all of these guys plug in, especially with Thatcher Hurd not being up to snuff out of the rotation. You kind of are figuring out where, where he fits best. And it looks to be in a back end role where even just listening to him talk about it, he seems really confident in that role. And it's clear he's got the support of his teammates with with the glowing reports that Paul Skeens has given him. But they're still in the unique camp of shuffling guys around a little bit and seeing who fits best where um, because of the injuries that they're dealing with. So, again, they have the arm talent. I have no doubt Coach Johnson is a great coach, and I have no doubt that he's going to figure it out and get it shored up as, as best he can as they head into the postseason. So, Yes, while that LSU doesn't have the pitching depth as some staffs do in the country, it is by by no stretch of the imagination, I would say, you know, a, a real, I guess, mark against them. Do not have time to get into every one of these SEC series, but I do want to uh, look ahead to another big week and we can talk a little bit about, you know, how some of these series ended up being what they are now. Uh, but this weekend, we've got South Carolina visiting Arkansas. South Carolina has now lost back-to-back series. Uh, they lost on Tuesday, yeah, Tuesday, uh, to North Florida. Uh, South Carolina's reeling a little bit. On the other hand, they're getting a little healthier. Will McGillis made an appearance as a pinch runner. He'd been out for, like, more than a month. Talmadge LaCroix was back in the lineup. Um, so that's a positive step for South Carolina, even as the on-field results uh, have taken a step back. Vanderbilt's going to Florida this weekend. Um, I don't want to say the SEC East is on the line, but it kind of is because if Florida doesn't win this weekend, it's hard to see anybody catching Vanderbilt. Uh, And then Kentucky is at Tennessee. Important series. I feel like the ship might have sailed a little bit for Tennessee in terms of the hosting race at this point, having lost to Georgia. On the other hand, maybe it hasn't. And if they are able to get something done this weekend at home against Kentucky, and again, L- or, uh, Tennessee plays incredibly well at Lindsey Nelson, it's a hard spot. You know, maybe they'll get back into it. So some intriguing series this weekend, some big opportunities, but but more than opportunities, you know, you can look at this and say, how's it going to affect the top eight race, hosting race, whatever. Like, I just think these are three great series to watch. Yeah, out, outside of the implications it has in the postseason, it's going to be quality baseball bound in the SEC, which... In the SEC, it's really just another weekend. I think that it's hard to pick one that I'm most intrigued by because each of these three series is very, very interesting for a number of reasons. But I think I'm most looking forward to it's hard to not look forward to Vanderbilt, Florida, and seeing how those two teams will bounce back. But in terms of the added implications for postseason purposes, I think South Carolina, Arkansas piques my interest the most, mostly for for how South Carolina is going to hopefully try and right this ship as they head into the last week of, of sec play because they got swept against Kentucky pretty handily. They dropped a midweek game against North Florida last night. Normally midweek games, 
it's a really weird time of the week and time of the year where a lot of these schools are are going to refrain from using their top tier talent. So it's hard to judge a team on a midweek game, but again, it's starting to snowball a little bit on South Carolina. But as you mentioned, they're finally starting to get healthy again. Um, Coach Kingston said that there's a non-zero chance or Braylon Wimmer could play this weekend, which I don't know if it would be Braylon Wimmer at 100%, but it would still be Braylon Wimmer, which would be a huge boost to that lineup. And I think that going on the road road to Bomb Walker, it's a really difficult task. And if South Carolina is able to win that series on the road, it's you can kind of breathe, breathe a little bit as Gamecock fans. But if they lose, which is, again, a real possibility, I think at this point you've got to, as crazy as it sounds, are they headed towards a territory where they, where they may not get a top 16 seed and host? Um, I, I, think I mean, it is plausible. They're, they're sitting at 13 and, uh, or 14 and nine in the sec. Um, you know, I, their RPI is four. I'd like to think that just two more sec wins gets this done. But on the other hand, things are stacked up real tight in the East. South Carolina doesn't have an easy finish. It's hard to win any games at Baumwalker. Their Arkansas is like 25 and three at home or something. Uh, so 28 and three, excuse me. Uh, you know, South Carolina can't really mess around too much now. Like that sweep against Kentucky was, uh, was not great there. I still have them as a top eight seed. Um, the series sweep of Florida is doing a lot of work for them right now. Uh, but if Florida, Florida wins this weekend against Vanderbilt, South Carolina has a bad week, like that flips it. And, you know, I, you don't want to, the, the other thing is just straight up, you, you don't want they have a lot of negative momentum right now. You don't want that going into the tournament. And uh, it's a hard place to turn it around in Fayetteville, but that's that's the task at hand this weekend for the for the Gamecocks. Yeah, and you mentioned the negative momentum. In looking at their their season as a snapshot, if you went to any South Carolina fan heading into opening weekend and said, Hey, I've got great news. On May 10th, which is when we're recording this. And heading into your second to last series, you're going to be 36 and 12. You're going to be 14 and nine in the SEC. Um, and your RPI is is going to be in the top 10. I think that I, I know that every single fan would be blown away by that. They're all signing up for that. Absolutely. 100%. But a little bit of recency bias here. You look at the two series losses in a row to teams that after that Florida sweep, you certainly didn't foresee them losing to. The, the they've they've come back down to earth a little bit and now you've got a they're tasked with riding the ship against two tough opponents and granted they could absolutely do it i'm confident that they win one of these series i have that series with tennessee at founders park circled as a as a potential statement one as they head into hoover but um they're they really cannot afford or or, or yeah, I think they really can't afford another sweep this weekend at bomb Walker, even if they're able to take one game um, and they very well could take two, but if, if they can avoid another sweep at bomb Walker and get a midweek win against Charlotte heading into their, their final series with Tennessee um, I think they do what it takes to, to end up hosting and, and they get their guys back and healthy for Hoover in the postseason, And then they can kind of really get back to rolling. But um, I, I wouldn't say desperate times in Columbia, but this is a, this is a big series for a lot of reasons. Yeah. And 
you know, I a lot of the things I, I typically say about like, well, these are the benchmarks you need to host. Uh, you know, in the SEC, that means having a winning record, like a, an RPI that ranks in the top like 15 or so, certainly within the top 20. Some of those are kind of broken this year, I feel like. You know, when you look at RPI and you see that SEC teams are five of the top six spots and, you know, you just keep going on down and like it, it just continues to be dominated by SEC teams you know that they're not all going to host. Like it doesn't work like that typically. And maybe, maybe this year the committee will just say, screw it. Like they all, they all host, like they all have the RPIs. They all have the SEC wins. They need whatever, like put them all in as hosts. Maybe it works like that, but also maybe somebody gets squeezed out. And the same thing can be said for the top eight seeds. You know, when, when you try and like the SEC East standings may come into real play here. You know, and so South Carolina has that sweep of Florida, but they also got swept by Kentucky. And then that Tennessee series could end up being very meaningful, depending on how this week goes. So important for South Carolina to get back on track. Um, Another big opportunity uh, at home this weekend for Florida. Um, They're coming off of a tough series loss at A&M. Vanderbilt coming off of a tough series loss at Alabama. Vanderbilt does not play as well on the road as they do at home. Surprise, surprise, almost every team certainly in, in college baseball can say that. But this is a, this is a big one for Florida. Uh, like I said, if they want into the SEC East race, uh, they need this one. And you know the, it, it has big implications for them for, for a top eight seed, which I have them right on the outside of right now. Uh, in part, in part because their RPI is the worst of the uh, the SEC contenders for the the top eight, this is an opportunity to turn that around and uh, just presents an intriguing matchup. You've got Jack Haglione against all of those Vanderbilt lefties. Uh, what's that going to look like? And uh, you know he uh, he's coming off of setting the uh, the program record in home runs, uh, and now he gets to deal with the likes of of Hunter Owen and Devin Fatrell, and we'll see if uh, if Carter Holton is uh, is ready to go this weekend as well. But a uh, tough matchup for him in terms of the, those lefties that, that Vanderbilt's going to throw at him. And and we'll see on Holton, the update that I saw on Twitter wasn't the most encouraging, and he didn't travel to Louisville for the midweek game, which really... Which uh, is uncommon. Uh, yes, he's he's a starting pitcher, but it's uncommon that he right. would not have been there. I was going to say that that shouldn't really... That shouldn't be too big of a red flag for for anyone out there wondering. Um, he was probably just back in Nashville doing whatever it is he needed to do. Um, so really not all that indicative of whether or not he's going to throw this weekend. If he does, even as inconsistent as he has been recently, um, that's still a huge piece that you want throwing, especially against a premier Florida lineup. You want all the help you can get. And again, going on the road is very difficult. So it's just going to be a really, really fun matchup with a lot of high quality players on in either dugout. Um, and, and I'm, I'm most kind of curious to see the Florida pitching staff, namely Hurston Waldrip, um, how he throws. I think pitch usage has really killed him this year. Throws a lot of fastballs. Um, it's not so much how many fastballs he throws. It's when he throws his fastball. Um, so there are a lot of kind of games within the game, so to speak. Um, but again, just it, if you can, this is definitely a series to watch just for the, just for the sheer talent in either dugout and for the, the implications it has, because as you mentioned, Florida, 
to get that top eight national seed, they they really need a serious win like this to to a boost their RPI and and b also boost their resume. Alrighty, let's head out west. Uh, the big one last weekend was Stanford visiting Arizona State in a showdown for first place in the Pac-12. Uh, Stanford made a pretty big statement coming away with a series sweep in Phoenix, where Arizona State has played so well this season. Stanford now takes a relatively commanding lead. That might be a little too strong, but they're they're in a very good position in first place, especially because Oregon, who we discussed last week, is maybe being a dark horse uh, in the in the Pac-12 race. They took a series loss at USC, uh, so Stanford now uh, build up a nice little lead. In, uh, in the Pac-12 standings, they did it. Uh, it was not easy at Arizona State. It was never going to be. Uh, the first two games were very back and forth, and Stanford found a way to win them both. Uh, and then on Sunday, they, they just kind of took care of business a little bit more. But uh, a very compelling series, uh, a lot of offense, as expected, uh, but, but Stanford ultimately able to, uh, to get the big road series win. They're closing in on, on back-to-back Pac-12 titles, uh, which is, uh, you know, I mean, it's not easy to do out there uh, in, the, in any conference, really, to win back-to-back titles. But uh, uh, Stanford now uh, holding a three-and-a-half game lead going into the final two weekends. Feel pretty good about the Cardinal and, and, and where they're at right now. As you mentioned, it, it's not necessarily a super commanding lead. It's not the lead that Wake Forest has in the ACC Atlantic. But I would say the Pac-12 at this point in the regular season is Stanford's to lose in looking at the standings and who they have left. But this past weekend was was what we expected and also not what we expected. I don't think that either of us expected a team to come out of Tempe with a sweep. Um, I, I had fully expected... Uh, you know, at Arizona to salvage a game on Sunday, or if Arizona State were to win the series, would not have been in a sweep. But Stanford did, I think, what the key to the series was, which was, you know, they got just enough pitching um, out of their pitching staff, which had been, for as odd as it is to say about a Stanford team where their pitching staff is usually its strength, um, they the pitching staff did step up. Quinn Matthews was... I would say as good as he could have been in a really hitter friendly environment against a good lineup on Friday with eight innings and 11 K's. Um, and then on Sunday to, to polish off their sweep, um, Joey Dixon at the, with the start and Brant Panzer to close it out and Max Meyer in the middle, they all threw really well, especially Panzer to close it out and seal the sweep with two and two thirds in which he did not allow a run. And uh, the the Stanford offense, as we expected, was was relentless. You had Tommy Troy, who homered in all three games. Carter Graham has really picked it up as of late, which that is a big time revelation in Palo Alto because he was so productive last year with his 22 home runs and and being that anchor on the right side of the infield. He got off to a really, really slow start this year that he is still kind of crawling out of even with these great performances. Um, And then again, they just got production from everywhere. Alberto Rios, the veteran was, was really strong and, and sophomore Jake Sapien, even though he hasn't really logged a ton of ABs, uh, he he's been really good as well. So 
Uh, a really impressive win for the Cardinal on the flip side. I think that we kind of know at this point what Arizona State is. It's an offensive first team, and their offense is really good with the personnel that they have. I mean, it is very, very good. One through six, their lineup, I would say, even really one through nine, there isn't a an easy out in there. But the pitching that they have, or lack thereof, I think severely limits their ceiling. Um, hosting is all but out of the picture for them. And it is, I think in any regional setting and in a tournament setting, it's going to be really tough to kind of, I I think, sustain a run and and hit yourself deep into, into the tournament in Omaha with, with just the, the lack of personnel I think they have. And that's partially due to injuries. Um, A lot of teams have unfortunately been bitten by the injury bug, but I think at this point we, we know who the, the Sun Devils are. Yeah, they're five and thirteen against teams in the top fifty of RPI. They're they have an ERA of six oh nine, which ranks tenth in the Pac twelve. They've lost uh, six of their last seven, although maybe they won in midweek last week or yesterday. Uh, at, coming out of the weekend, it was six of their last seven games were losses. Uh, they're going to go on the road. They don't play as well on the road as they do at home. Again, like every team in college baseball, basically. And uh, it's going to be hard to see them coming out of it. Now, I have, you know, like we were saying with South Carolina, like you, you would sign up for what South Carolina's record is. Like fans would have signed up for that at the start of the year, knowing where they are today. I think Arizona State fans probably would have as well uh, for, for where they are. Expectations were a little it was hard to pin down what this ASU team was going to be coming into this year because there was so much new uh given how many guys they went into the portal to get this still isn't where ASU wants to be but they're in a better spot in year two under Willie Bloomquist now they have to solve this pitching situation uh going forward which has been a bit of bugaboo for uh ASU for for several years now but it's an exciting offense. They look like they're headed back to the tournament. Like they at least had this really exciting first place showdown uh, in May. Um, you know, I for for a program like ASU, I don't want to like sit here and be like, and that's great because I know the expectations are higher. But it is a you know, it's a process, and so I I, I think that you know, I don't want to put a label on the season on in, in May 10, but it, it does seem to be trending more towards successful season than, uh, than unsuccessful elsewhere in the PAC 12. Like I said, USC uh, won a series against Oregon. That was pretty significant for USC. I still have them as bubble out. Their RPI is still problematic, but it was uh, it was a big one, big response for them. They play exceptionally well at home and they now get Arizona state at home this weekend uh, in a, uh, a significant series for for both of those teams, and then Oregon is uh, is back home against Washington again. Uh, should be a really compelling series. And then Peter, the other one that I want to mention is that UCLA is in freefall right now. They got swept by Cal, which came into the weekend in last place in the Pac-12. Uh, UCLA is now 10, 12, and one, something like that in uh, in the Pac-12. They're under five hundred. And their RPI is north of 60 right now. Like the Bruins really look like they're going to miss the NCAA tournament, which is not where I thought they would be. Injuries, as you said, have been bad around college baseball a lot. UCLA has been hit as hard as anyone, it feels like. And it shows. Uh, and it, it's just really unfortunate to to see their season derailed like this. Um, kudos to Cal for going out and getting that series sweep on the road. But uh 
that was that was a bad bad weekend for ucla yeah and, and not to discredit anything cal did because a series sweep over ucla is still a series sweep over ucla um but a as you mentioned ucla is just two and six in their last eight games they've really struggled in pac-12 play They've lost their last three Pac-12 series. They've lost, I think, four or five, maybe even five of six. But they just have not been 100% healthy, it feels like, all season. And because when when one piece is returned, they got Kyle Karras back from injury, but then Cody Schreier, their star shortstop, went down with, with, a, with a shoulder issue. And then when Karras is back and they're, he's getting his feet under him. Then Malachi Knight, who's been really good, goes down with an injury. And then on the pitching staff, I mean, which has been their strength to their to to its credit, the ERA of four point two five is actually pretty solid given the nature of of college baseball this year. But you kind of look to their rotation as a bright spot. With okay, we've got Jake Brooks, uh, Kelly Austin, and Alonzo Treadwell. That at the very least is going to keep us in ball games weekend and every weekend and then you had you had in some bullpen pieces with charles harrison and and cody del vecchio but again they get some really rough news uh last week where it looks like alonzo treadwell is now going to be out for the year and given the current state of the bruins with both their rpi and their overall resume they have two tough series remaining with oregon state and arizona state i man it is going to be really really it's an uphill battle for them for the first time in, in what feels like a really long time to, to, to make a regional. And it feels like they're going to have to win probably both of these series and, and have a strong PAC 12 tournament to kind of back their way back themselves into, into a regional berth. And even if they were to make a regional, I just don't know. It, it just comes down to having enough bodies. And I just don't know, you know, how much they have and, and where you can point to as, okay, UCLA might not have a great lineup, but at least they've got a great pitching staff, which they still do, I think, as a whole. But they are missing, I think, that their their best arm for the rest of the year. So, I guess in looking for a bright spot, like Deuce Gorson has been has been solid all year, and their pitching staff, as I've mentioned, has been really strong, even with the injuries they've dealt with. But man, it it it, it is desperation time in Westwood, and and they've got to pull a rabbit out of their hat really fast. Oregon also, like I said, they uh, they took it on the chin at USC with a series loss, and I think their hosting hopes are dead. Um, essentially, like they're never dead. Dead. You play in the Pac-12, you you know reel off a couple big weekends, and you know you, you got a shot. But going one and three last week again against Oregon State and USC all on the road was a uh, was a real detriment. Uh, their RPI has fallen out of the top twenty-five. Stanford's the only Pac-12 team with the top twenty-five RPI. Everyone knows that RPI doesn't love the West Coast and the committee is aware of it and usually gives them some leeway, but um, Oregon's going to need a strong finish. The good news is they're going back home for the series uh, against Washington, and then they get Utah on the road, and Utah's now in last place. So, you know, you got a favorable schedule, I would say, for Oregon. Like, the series against Washington is going to be tough, and those are two programs that, you know, don't love each other, uh, traditional rivalry. But at least you're back at home and, and then on the road against the last place team in the league. We'll see what Oregon can do from here. If they can get back to a, a spot where they're, they're in contention to host. But, but right now that was a, uh, that was a tough one at USC and, and USC with a big opportunity this weekend uh, with ASU coming to town. And 
Uh, USC continues 23 and six at home. It's remarkable. They're just five, 13 and one on the road. Uh, but they are, they're remarkable at home. So, uh, you know, a tough, a tough road for them as well with ASU and then at Arizona, Arizona is playing a lot better. And again, USC just doesn't play well on the road. Uh, but if they have two solid weekends here, they're not out of it yet. So, uh, I remain intrigued by the Trojans at least. Yeah, absolutely. And especially with how well they play at Dato field and you get kind of an Arizona state team right where you want them. And they're not necessarily, USC, they're not necessarily the most offensive club. And it feels like a weekend where their offense could break through with with the arms that they're going to see but and how well they play at Dato Field. Um, again, probably on the outside looking in, maybe last one of the last couple of teams in the tournament field right now. But if they're able to notch another series win over Arizona State, that certainly puts them on the right side of the bubble. And then that they kind of head into a favorable end-of-the-season matchup with Arizona. So... A, a very interesting matchup for the Trojans out West. And then with Washington and Oregon, as you mentioned, a little bit of a rivalry series there. Washington, after a series loss against Stanford, has started to play really well again with series sweep over USC, a series win over our tribal Washington State. So a big series for the Huskies and their tournament aspirations as well. They really want a series win. I think that they can stamp their, they can hang their hat on. They're kind of, the UCLA series win at the start of Pac-12 play looked like a really good one. Now it's not. Granted, that was a very different UCLA team, so there that's a nuanced argument. But a series win at Oregon at PK Park would 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 work wonders for their resume. I think that that would be a, a series win they can hang their hat on. Um, so another intriguing weekend out west that I think coming out of it, we could have a completely different picture of of where teams stand other than you know, Stanford still being a potential top eight national seed. Yeah. And just quickly on UW, I I think it's important that they just maintain their place in the standings right now. They're fifth or a half game ahead of USC because they have a terrible non-conference strength of schedule. Like NC state very, you know, got, got stunned last year when they got left out of the tournament and their non-conference strength of schedule was part of the rationale. Uh, That was bad. NC State was like 180 or something in in non-conference strength of schedule. Washington is like 100 spots worse than that almost. Uh, they're down there in like 260. I think it's so, 75. I randomly saw it last night and, it's, yeah, and it stuck out. It's, it's bad. And, you know, if that, that that's not a piece that the committee is going to go out there looking to say like, oh, like disqualified because of this. But if they're... If it's tight, the committee just last year showed that they're very much paying attention to that. And Northeastern is down there in terms of at-large teams, but nobody else is. And uh, so, you know, if you're if you're looking for a reason to to say no to somebody, like that is that's going to be there to say no to Washington. Uh, so I think it's important for Washington to just have a good, you know, just establish that they are clearly one of the Pac-12's better teams. Uh, this is a conference that's going to get five, maybe six bids. And if you can just say like, hey, we're, we're right there. We're, we're fifth in the standings. We're fourth in the standings. I, I think the committee is going to say like, okay, fine. Like you're in. Like you've proved yourself in Pac-12 play to be worthy. And they have that nice sweep of USC. And like they have a, a lot of nice things going for them. But like I just, I keep looking at that every time I open Washington's page. And I, I, I look at that number and I'm like, Ugh, I wouldn't want to... I wouldn't 
having watched what happened to NC State a year ago, having watched what happened to Rutgers a year ago, like I would not want to be like, that's not something I want on my resume. And they can't do anything about it now. So they just have to win as many Pac-12 games as they can. And that starts this weekend uh, in Eugene. Right. And and 29 and 14 overall, 13 and 10 in the Pac-12, a really good mark overall. But then when you start to kind of dig in a little deeper, as you said, the the strength of schedule is a big deterrent, I think. And then obviously with who they've played, just one and two against RPI top 25, and then two and three against RPI 26 through 50. So work to be done, a, a really crucial series win, I think, for them to 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 try and get as as the season closes out. All right, let's go to the Big 12, a place that we haven't visited terribly recently, but has uh, become one of the most fascinating races down the stretch. Uh, West Virginia's in first place. They're two games up. Uh, that's not really where the interest lies. West Virginia seems like they're the best team, but they've got big series this weekend against Texas Tech. What's intriguing here is uh, kind of the rest of the standings. Everyone's pretty bunched up here. There's not a whole lot of teams that I would say are cl- clearly you know, determine their, their NCAA tournament fate. Uh, you also have another big series this weekend with K-State heading to Oklahoma State. And those are the two teams that are closest to West Virginia in the standings. There are two games back. Uh, Oklahoma State trying to push into the hosting race, uh, trying to push into a hosting spot. They're in the race. K-State trying to, you know, say, yes, put us in the NCAA tournament they're 31 and 18 overall. They have an RPI of 57. They have some nice series wins, but it's, it's very bubbly right now. But if they can get another big series win here against Oklahoma State, that would be a big stamp in their favor. And, you know, like I just said with Washington, you know, and how the Pac 12 standings are really going to be important for that, I feel like the same is going to be true here for Kansas State. Unlike in these other conferences, you know, I can point to, you know, in the SEC, if you got 14 wins, you're almost certainly in. If you get to 15 wins in the ACC, you're in great shape. It's 16 in the Pac-12. There is no number in the Big 12. Part of that's because they only play 24 conference games, but things are just kind of all over the place within the Big 12. You know, you saw West Virginia get left out last year and not even really be in the bubble discussion despite being 14 and 10 in, uh, in the conference. Uh, but they were like fifth in the standings. That was part of the reason why they they just weren't taken all that seriously. I feel like if K State can get a nice record, can finish in a strong spot in the Big Twelve, like I think some of their other flaws on the resume will be ignored. And this weekend's a major opportunity for them. Uh, Kansas State's proven they can compete with just about anyone in the Big Twelve, uh, and they get another chance to do it. Unfortunately for them, it is on the road. But this is uh, that series definitely has my attention. It's got some nice prospects in it. You got two two really strong shortstops and Marcus Brown at Oklahoma State, Nick Goodwin at uh, at K State, and two teams that are playing really well right now. Oklahoma State has has certainly been rolling. K State, I, I I did not anticipate coming into the year that K State Oklahoma State would have my attention uh, in the second to whack, second to last weekend of the regular season, but here we are. And in the Big 12, as we've mentioned all year, it's been such a weird conference and no one had wanted had 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 wanted to separate themselves from the pack up until West Virginia recently, who, as you mentioned, I think it's pretty clear that they're the top dogs in the conference. Again, though, they have another big series this weekend when they welcome Texas Tech to Morgantown. But um, no, as you mentioned, the Oklahoma State and Kansas State series 
at least to this point and probably for the 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 whole season i think this is the biggest big 12 series that we're going to get and as you mentioned kansas state is playing really well of late as of late oklahoma state has been pretty strong all season they've had their their ebbs and flows as any ball club but for the most part they've been really good thanks to their extreme offensive production um which i think in alluding to that I'd be remiss not to mention that this series is at O'Brate Stadium, where if you describe a stadium as a launch pad or an airport, whatever it is that you want to use to describe how the ball flies there, you're going to need a whole new adjective for O'Brate Stadium. Because if you see a ball off the bat and it looks like, okay, that's going to be a fly out to left or a fly out to right or anywhere in the outfield, it's probably going to get over the fence. And we saw it all last weekend with Oklahoma State. We've seen it all season. And they're a super, super offensive club. Kansas State, not quite as offensive. I don't think any team in the conference is as offensive as Oklahoma State. But it is a really good series. As you mentioned, there are prospects abound with uh, Nick Goodwin, Marcus Brown, and then looking forward, you know, and, and obviously Rock Reggio, but even looking forward, you have some of the top 2024s and 2025s that are going to be eligible with Carson Benj for Oklahoma State, Nolan Schubart for Oklahoma State, and then looking in the other dugout, you've got Kalen Culpepper, who is a super physical third baseman, can really impact the ball. And then out of the bullpen, they've got Tyson Neighbors, who is quickly establishing himself as one of the best relief pitchers in the country. So, it is going to be a fascinating series. It's difficult to not give the edge to Oklahoma State with the home field advantage they have. Yes, Kansas State has a great bullpen arm, a few great bullpen arms, but they've got a great stop gap with Tyson Neighbors. Um, but you got to get them the ball. So um, it's all about if um, Kansas State can keep pace with the Oklahoma State offense, which is easier said than done. But I do think that they have the edge on the pitching side of things. So it's um, it's kind of strength on strength. And I'd love for it selfishly just to come down to a decisive third game because I think that would be a lot of fun for a whole lot of reasons. But we'll see how it plays out. I'm really excited to tune in. Absolutely. And the, you, we mentioned the Texas Tech-West Virginia series. Uh, Texas Tech with an absolutely <laughs> wild game. On Tuesday, it was the resumption of a suspended game against Abilene Christian, and they had gone down big before uh, the rain came a week ago. Uh, well, they uh, they flipped that game. They, they won it. Maybe they'll be able to take some of momentum from that into Morgantown. West Virginia's really only stumbled against Kansas this season, and that was in Morgantown. Um, so they're gettable to an extent, but Texas Tech certainly plays better at home. I've been over that a million times. They're closer to the bubble than... Uh, than maybe you would anticipate. Certainly, you know, you look at our poll and, you know, we have, we, we feel still pretty, pretty good about Texas Tech having them ranked in the teens, but RPI does not agree. They're 52. They're, uh, they're 500 in the conference. They have mixed in some really good wins with some bad losses. And that's how the RPI has gotten where it's gotten. Um, their schedule strength is mediocre, I guess. And they haven't played terribly well away from home six and 10 on the uh, away from, from Lubbock. Uh, so they're trying to reverse some of that. They get Kansas in a week, but I'll tell you if they could get something done in Morgantown, that would be uh, be majorly beneficial to the Red Raiders. 
Yeah, and it as you said, West Virginia has the clear advantage. They're playing really well. It seems like they have all their ducks in a row from a personnel standpoint. And in the rotation, that one-two punch of Blaine Traxel and Ben Hampton is a is a pretty darn good one. You get Traxel, who is a absolute workhorse, throws from a funky arm slot and avoids hard contact, and then you get kind of a soft tossing lefty with with Ben Hampton. That provides two really unique looks for opposing hitters and one that's going to keep them kind of guessing and off balance. And you, and, and on offense, they have one of the best offensive players who in my mind, isn't getting enough, uh, I think national recognition for what he's doing with it. When JJ Weatherholt, he's tied with, he's actually overtaken Dylan Cruz for the top batting average in the country after <laughs> it's nitpick. Cruz went over two last night with like three walks, but He's technically overtaken Dylan Cruz for the top batting average in the country, hitting 463 with 18 doubles and 13 home runs. He's also stolen 32 bases. He's a big-time difference maker, both with his bat and on the base paths. Um, so he's one of the more exciting players to watch in college baseball. Um, as you mentioned, Texas Tech, outside of home, they've, I mean, they've they've struggled as a team, but, so, you know, who hasn't? Um and they're a super offensive club. Part of that, you know, might be a little bit due to where they play with their power numbers being inflated, but they've still got a number of good hitters with Kevin Bazell, Gavin Cash, and and Nolan Hester leading the way. So, well, I think uh, runs won't necessarily be at a premium. Um, I, I think it'll be tougher for them to um, to to score against a really strong West Virginia pitching staff. And And you mentioned it as well. Their resume, we may have them, you know, ranked high, but but I, I wouldn't get clouded in that. But because their resume, they still have, they still have some to be desired, and a series win against a top twelve West Virginia team would 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 really enable them to kind of breathe a little bit as they head down the stretch. The other series to watch this weekend is in Conference USA. It's a battle for first place. Dallas Baptist heads to San Antonio to take on UTSA and the Roadrunners. Both of these teams could use this one, uh, obviously just from a standings perspective, but also from a resume perspective. DBU taking a couple tough losses over the last couple of weeks and you know their RPI is taking a hit. UTSA's RPI keeps slipping as well and you know, I feel like they probably should be reasonably safely in the tournament, but also maybe not. Uh, so we'll see. Uh, but this weekend, uh, you know, first place on the line in Conference USA and that just setting aside all of the NCAA tournament uh, you know, resume stuff, if we can do that. But just it's uh, it's a showdown. Uh this is UTSA's last season in Conference USA before they moved to the American. This is DBU's first season in Conference USA. So uh, a lot of intrigue on this one. I uh, I really respect what Patrick Hallmark's been able to do with the Roadrunners since he took that program over. Uh, this would be a big statement uh, if they are able to win this series, go on and win the conference. That 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 would be a, a really nice uh, a, a accomplishment for them. And meanwhile, DBU just continues being as consistent as ever and uh, their pitching staff has been great and they've gotten healthier offensively. And I, I think that's been important for them. Getting Nate Humphreys back uh, over the last couple of weeks has been uh, has been big for that team. So we'll uh, we'll certainly have an eye uh, on that one as well. Yeah. And as you mentioned, a huge series. I think that whoever wins this one is going to have a stranglehold on the regular season CUSA standings would be a great note for Coach Hallmark to end his CUSA tenure on. 
um, would be a great note for DBU to start their TCUSA tenure on. Um, and as you mentioned, big in for the tournament resumes for different reasons. I think DBU is pretty safely in, but when you look at UTSA, the RPI north of 50, they they would like a marquee series win like this to to kind of shore up their resume as as we head into as we kind of propel ourselves towards selection Monday. So gonna be a really fun one in in Dallas. Alrighty. That's a lot that we covered. Uh, it was a big week around the sport. Hopefully we can uh, have another one, but just a little more on the field in terms of uh, in terms of a big week for college baseball in, in the week ahead. A lot of really interesting series, uh, a lot of fun matchups here this time of year and uh, a lot of great baseball to be watched uh, this weekend. So we'll uh, we'll have plenty to say next week on the Baseball America College podcast. So make sure you're subscribed to the Baseball America podcast on your favorite podcasting app, be that Apple Podcast, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts, hit the subscribe or follow button. Uh, we really appreciate that. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter. I'm at Ted Cahill. Peter is at Peter G. Flaherty. All of the written content is over at baseballamerica.com. And there's a lot to keep you busy uh, this time of year, uh, both with college baseball and, and on the pro side and, and, and the draft side, if you're into uh, that as well. Make sure to check it out over at BaseballAmerica.com. For Peter, I'm Teddy. We'll talk to you next time. <laughs>